We are Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, episode 113. No famous numbers this week. No? Well, there's important stuff to talk about. No, I, I, I have a couple things. Ken Dworsnik, Ted Klopp, bring you the latest in Cleveland and what's going on in our lives, which I know everybody wants to hear. Ted, I have a rant. I, I have a rant. I wanted to start with a rant. I am. There's something right now that has been irking me for quite a while. I've been dealing with this since probably uh, beginning of March. Well, there, the floor is yours. Please go Thank right you. ahead. Right now, I would like to figure out what we can do. And this is not just a Cleveland issue. This is all throughout, I think, the United States. What do we need to do to find more bus drivers? My biggest stress in life right now is bus drivers. We talking school bus drivers or what? School bus drivers, yes. Okay. So there has been a shortage, which many people could figure out, after COVID, because many of the people that were driving bus retired, can't fill the positions. It's affected a lot of different things. Never would I imagine this, but for my days of working in athletics, the biggest obstacle I'd be dealing with right now are getting buses and getting drivers and getting teams and kids to the places they're supposed to be on time. Yeah, I can only go off personal experience. My son is part of the track team in Dinah High School, and this is a story I imagine many people have told with their own communities. And once again, this is nothing on Medina. They're doing the best that they can. But every single meet that he has had this year that has been outside of the facility, they have been late. Oh, like we're not talking about five, 10 minutes. We're talking a couple hours. Oh, and then the team's coming into Medina, which is also Strongsville, uh, Solon. I'm trying to think of some other teams that came in also extremely late. Oh, so the meets were supposed to start at like 4.30. A lot of these meets have not started till 6. Oh, The last meet I went to, we went to Menor, where obviously, once again, it's not an easy trip to get from Medina to Menor. Uh, bus took, you know, hour and 20 minutes to get there, but it didn't leave. <laughs> it didn't leave Medina until almost 5. Oh. So they didn't get there until almost like 6.15, 6.20, something like that. Meet started like 6.30. So... Yeah, my son didn't get home till like 11. Wow. So, I mean, once again, I'm not complaining. It's just stressful because, you know, there's one issue. Here's the issue, but there's nothing you could do to change it. You You're know complaining what I mean? about the situation, but not singling Correct. anyone out. Correct. Yeah. Yes. No, there's nobody I'm blaming. I'm not blaming the superintendents of schools or the principals or the directors. I am blaming COVID at the end of the day because that is the big reason. And there is a huge shortage. I mean, I, I know these communities are trying to pay bus drivers substantial money just to stay on staff. Like they'll pay them through the summer just to get them to come back for the next year. Yep. I've never heard of that. They're talking about raising uh, school bus drivers wage for, if they're making 16 or 17 to pay them almost $25 an hour to drive the bus for extracurricular activities. It's, it's unreal. And I, from what I'm being told by many people, this is not changing anytime soon. We'll wow. be dealing with the same stuff in the, in the near future. So that is my rant. I'm well, just openly complaining. Once again, nobody wants to listen to it, but I figured this is my opportunity to do that. And thanks for listening. Thank you. Well, if you don't want anybody to hear your rant, this is the place to do it. Now, that's right. That's why I, I get to hear. I have some big news. Oh, my. Okay. Big news. Big, big news. All right. When I say big, I mean big. Big news. You're you moving. You're moving uh, to some other community. Oh, I can't move. No. You have, oh. you're getting another car. No. Okay. This is big news, Ken. I hopped on the scale the other day and I'm over <laughs> 200 pounds. <laughs> that is big news. I've, I, let me just tell you, buddy. I've, I've done that for many years now. Yeah. So, yeah. This is the first time in my life I've been in the. Your two bills. Welcome to the club. Two yeah. bills. Yep. So my uh, father-in-law, I was standing there the other night. And my father-in-law says, uh, how many months along are you? Oh, geez. So, yeah. 
Yeah. You got a tough crowd there, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, in the matter of a week, two different people made mention to me that I look bigger. So, oh, good. Hey, nice to see you. Boy, you've, it seems like you've grown. <laughs> I know they weren't talking about my height. <clears throat> well, I figure, you know, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a treadmill. So maybe nice. uh, once I do that, I, I'm hoping that'll happen before the next show. And I can, we can kind of document uh, how this goes. I like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to stand next to you and yell at you like some kind of coach, like, uh, you know, in the Rocky movies me, or something like that. Give me an idea how that would sound. How it would sound? Move, run, faster, harder, something like that. Yeah, I, I think we'll pass on that, but thanks. Okay. <clears throat> it's available if you need it. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, so that's the big news. Big news. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. But uh, coming up on our show... Gandalf meets Gandalf. We're going to explain in our good news segment. David Edward is here. He says city of Atlantis is real and he knows where it is. Bob's clips. When is it okay or not okay to pay your rent? And in Cleveland sports, we will reminisce about the Browns first NFL draft pick when they returned in 1999. And now, a woman's perspective. What makes a man think about a dinner by candlelight? A power failure. This has been a woman's perspective. Overachievers, the people we like to talk about. A British man who enjoys piercings, I know you do, Ted, has broken his own world record. James Goss first broke the record for the most face flesh tunnels. That's kind of fun to say, to be honest with you. Face flesh tunnels in 2020 with 14. He broke his own record in 2022 with 15. And then again, that wasn't enough. He added a couple more to get to 17. 17 face flesh tunnels. Outstanding. What can I ask you a question here? What is a face flesh tunnel? I believe that's a piercing. It's just like a loop that you put on I your guess, face. Yeah, you, is that something else? Something you can stick something through, I believe, is okay. what it is. All right. A nose ring. Uh, uh, yep. What, what is it? It's a stud that you put in your uh, uh, eyebrow. I've never been told that. I'm 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 not up on all that stuff. I have no idea. Well, if anyone's interested, James Goss right now is holding the record for 17 face flush tunnels. Come get him. He's ready. That's our overachiever. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for another Cleveland sports memory. And Dusty Sloan, our Cleveland sports expert, is with us. We're going to go to, well, this should be April 1st, but uh, April 17th of 1999. The Cleveland Browns, with the first pick in the NFL draft, select quarterback Tim Couch, the University of Kentucky. And... A lot has been made about that pick and how his career went. Dusty, your thoughts. Well, guys, it, it, a lot of crap has been put on Tim Couch unnecessarily because let's face it, when you're going to an expansion team and the, they didn't get they didn't do the Browns any favors that year. It seems like expansion teams really ever since that point in every major sport tends to give partic particularly in hockey, it seems like the expansion teams, are given all kinds of advantages to try to be good right away. The Browns didn't have those advantages. So you knew that no matter, you could have picked Donovan McNabb, you could have picked Achilles Smith, you could have picked Cade McNown, whoever you picked with that first pick was probably going to end up with the career that Tim Couch had. And he also had some very bad luck too. If you remember that second year in 2000, he only played in seven games because he had his hand hit 
in practice by a defender when they wouldn't then when they shouldn't have been that close. And then in 2002, at the end of the year, he got hurt again, which led Kelly Holcomb to be in the playoff game. But given the right circumstances, I think Tim Couch would have been a highly successful quarterback. And he did give us some very good moments. He had a couple wins in 2001 against Baltimore, obviously played well enough in 2002 to get the Browns to the playoffs. But I think the, the biggest disservice that he was dealt while he was in Cleveland was when Butch Davis gave the starting job in 2003 to Kelly Holcomb. I think at that point, the, the die was cast and he just was not going to have the type of career we hoped he would have. Dusty, I think your comments that you made are absolutely correct. Anybody that would have been put in that situation with that awful, and I mean awful, offensive line that was led by Jim Pine. <laughs> Ted always yes. talks about his favorite player who was picked first in the expansion draft. My question for you, and it's kind of a different question. Once again, nothing against Tim Couch. Obviously, he, he played the best that he could. He dealt with the situation that he had. I always like to play this game. If he had the offensive line, and the weapons right now that the Cleveland Browns have with, you know, one of the best offensive lines, a very good running game, some good receivers. Do you think he would see success in the NFL? I think without question he would because you see football at all levels now between college, the XFL, USFL, NFL. They're all running some version in a lot of cases that how mummy air raid offense, dink and dunk. Get the, get the ball out of your hand fast, and let the receiver do the work. That wasn't as prevalent 20-some-odd years ago when Tim Couch was running it with Hal Mummy at Kentucky. So he had to kind of settle into a different type of offense in addition to having an entirely new team in front of him. So, yes, I think if he was in the right situation in the NFL today, I think he would have seen a much different result. I, I I find it interesting that as his uh, as the time has passed since his exit from the Browns, he when when he was here, I didn't uh, he wasn't the most popular player. But as time has gone on, it seems as though perhaps fans have understood more about the situation he was in, and he's now much more. I think uh, much more respected and, and liked than he was when he was playing here. Is that, would you agree with that? Without question. Obviously there was a time when he was the preseason broadcaster for the Browns. And then that obviously can't happen unless again, we all know the time heals all wounds. And in the case of Tim couch, he was dealt a bad hand. Very few quarterbacks that can, that go in the expansion draft and you, and you can go back to, Carr in Houston a few years after that. He wasn't ever going to be successful in Houston. But you go back to Jim Zorn in the 70s with Seattle. That's a rare case. He lasted years there, and he's a god up in Seattle. They love him. But then you go to a Doug Williams in Tampa Bay who had some, some success, 70s, early 80s, but then had a falling out with John McKay, ends up in the USFL, but then ends up winning a Super Bowl a couple years later, surprisingly, with the Redskins because he was a backup. So every case is different. But when you're a quarterback on a on an expansion team getting thrown in there the second game of the expansion year after Ty Detmer started the first game, it, it wasn't going to end up anything but bad. Well, Dusty, I look at Tim Couch, at least his figure, every day. So <laughs> back when the Browns came back, I don't know if you remember this, they had this big special promotion at McDonald's to get your Tim Couch bobblehead. Yeah. And his head and body are coming out of Brown Stadium. I always thought it was really cool, so I keep it out. But I get to look at Tim Couch every day. Or if you follow him on Instagram, you can watch him work out. He looks like Nanook of the North. I'm not sure if you've guys seen that or not. But he lifts and works out and all that stuff. And I think he's still calling Kentucky football as well, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he is. And obviously, they love him down in Kentucky for obvious reasons because he was flinging the ball left and right. I think Craig East was one of his wide receivers, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, Tim Couch, he I whether he deserved to be the number one pick that year or not, obviously Chris Palmer and Dwight Clark and Carmen Policy thought he was. But at the end of the day, things happened the way they did, and uh, he's on that laundry list of quarterbacks who have started in the last 24 years. We don't need to hear about Spurgeon win, people like that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Dusty, we appreciate the time and the information on the first – quarterback 
of the uh, Browns expansion era, Tim Couch and his selection and time here in Cleveland. Thanks for your time, Dusty. Appreciate it, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! Ted, we're out and about Northeast Ohio, and this is strictly Northeast Ohio. Did not have a chance to venture out of the area. Not sure if you did, but we'll turn the baton to you at some point in time. No, no, no. So this past week, obviously, as many different people know, was NFL draft. Not quite the same for us Cleveland Browns fans because we didn't draft until the third round. So we could just kind of sit back and enjoy it. So uh Awen and myself thought we'd take that in. We went to El Carcinero, very good Mexican res- restaurant in Lakewood. And just across the street is a bar called Game On, which I think they have packed into that place as many TVs as you possibly can. I literally, I was watching in the, in the same evening a basketball game, two different hockey games, and the draft on two different stations all at the same time. Let me just tell you, I got really excited. It was great. So besides that, we actually took in, and I think you did this as well, the 40th, and I repeat, the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. We took that in. We went to Regal Cinemas in Crocker Park. It was phenomenal. It, uh, you, you have some, how do I say this? There's some different people that go. You have the people like myself, enjoy the movies and watch. Other people that dress up, then you have some other folks as well, which obviously all are welcome. It is great. <laughs> so we took the movie, and this is the story that I have, and I, I I know you'll love this. You and I talk about this all the time. You know, are the things that we do, does that pass along to the kids, you know, with our idea, ideas of jokes and humor and all that stuff? So we watch the movie, we stay like till the middle of the credits. And when the movie ends, there's a gentleman there and a couple other people that start clapping. Very common in movies. You hear it quite often. I'm not sure if you've seen any of these commercials. It's a guy by the name of Dr. Rick from Progressive. He tries to teach people how not to be like their parents. And so it's just like, you know, you don't need a sign on the wall to tell you you need to live, laugh, and love or whatever. So one of the commercials he has talks about being in a movie theater. And so my daughter, right when the movie ends and she hears the clapping and it kind of stops, she turns to to me and says, hey, dad, do you remember that one progressive commercial? I said, yeah. She goes, that certainly applies right here. We don't need to clap because the people that made the movie are not here. Oh, my God, Ted, I can't stop laughing. It was so well done. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> so we had that. So after the movie and after that great humor, we actually then we went to the Lego store. Oh, my gosh. By the way, that that's a that could be its own podcast, by the way. I, I've never seen some of the things that you can get in Legos and you could spend a grand on the uh, Eiffel Tower. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. Just crazy. For some plastic. We actually went to Yard House. What's that? For some plastic bricks. Yeah, plastic bricks. They're making a ton. I mean, you could get anything you want. Then we went to Yard House to kind of finish off the afternoon for a quick appetizer and a couple drinks. So that's kind of what we had. It was it was great. I mean, hopefully some people saw Mark Wahlberg running around in Giant Eagle in Avon. He was over there. So I did hear about that. And But I did not take in that that wonderful time with, with Mark Wahlberg. I, uh, I opted to stay in the Crocker Park area and enjoy Return of the Jedi. So I've seen more pictures of Mark Wahlberg running around a giant eagle than I care to mention. That's part of the reason I brought that up. So okay, he's he's uh, promoting some kind of new beef he's got. So oh, and he tried to make it random. And I have nothing against Mark Wahlberg, but I don't need to hear about him. Ted, that was my out and about Northeast Ohio. We all are anxiously waiting to hear what fine establishments you took in in the last two weeks. Well, we did see Return of the Jedi, and we saw Super Mario Brothers at uh, Cinemark Valley View. So that was fun. But I'll tell you what was the highlight for me, and this is kind of an out and about and kind of a dad thing, but whatever. Uh, So 
we were out to play some lacrosse. You or the kids? Well, the kids. My middle son. You ever seen lacrosse? I have. I've been to a couple games. Okay. I'd never seen it before. And I came away saying, this is the most perfect game for a young boy to play. Yes. You're given a helmet and pads and a stick, and you're told to shove the other kids out of the way and hit their stick with yours to try to take the ball away. Yes. And throw the ball at the other team's goal. Yes. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's what's better than that. This game was made for your kids. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that's my only observation. I had a great time at the movies. And, uh, you know, we, we don't uh, we don't get out very often. I think we went to BW3s once, but that's about it. And Ted, thanks for being out and about, spending your hard-earned dollars in Northeast Ohio. And we're just loving it. We like to be out and about. Blah 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 Our guest today is a former US military special agent. He is not a former member of the FBI, as I found out just before we began this interview. However, he does say, amongst other things, that he knows where Atlantis is. So let's talk with David Edward. David Give me the GPS coordinates for Atlantis. Yeah, one comma one. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, just, just to clear up that FBI stuff, yeah, when I was in the field in the Army, they would send DEA guys and FBI guys down. And the DEA guys always wanted to be FBI guys, and then the FBI guys would, like, flick their ears and, you know, turn their underwear inside out because they were just kind of wandering around lost when they were outside the uh, – the, the states i never really understood i was like in central america and south america I, I didn't think that fbi had jurisdiction out there but i would see them so but yeah i was in i was in the army and i was enlisted so i actually worked for a living unfortunately i would have rather have been saluted but i saluted my arm off but that's okay hey wow I, well, all right well uh ken maybe you should uh hop in here <laughs> <laughs> i can do that David, you've done many different things, and obviously during this uh, interview today, want to focus a little bit on Atlantis. This is a very interesting topic for many people. It's been talked about forever. I know certainly kids in schools at times will, will hear about this. So let's just start to the meat and potatoes of everything. Okay. Where is Atlantis? Obviously, you've you've done some research. You've done this for a long time. Can you clarify for us, does it really exist? Did it yeah. exist? So and it's just you know it, it's a tough question, right? Because um, you you guys sound like you're the kind of guys that want to jump to the end of the book and read the last page to make sure that the book's worth its time and all that. Uh, you know, Atlantis wound up. If you go through the dialogues, the key to solving Atlantis is a couple things. But the most important thing was in the dialogue Critias, and we're talking about stuff that Plato wrote um, in three sixty BC. Uh, he talks about they give us what they call a twins list. Which, if you if if you believe in Atlantis, and we believe it, it uh, predated um, Egypt and other places where we see kings' lists, they became a very standard way of recording local history. We get that in these dialogues, and people, no one's really dug into that that, that I could find before. I, I've seen some tangential things, but I partnered. I've a I've a I've done a lot of things, like you said. So I have a doctorate in engineering. I've been in the field. I was trained how to read maps at the Jungle Operations Warfare Center in Panama. I spent a week in the Dorian Gap desperately trying to get out because it's the worst place in the world, and I don't recommend anyone ever go there. Um, but the big thing was with the twins list, there actually is, there's there's only two cardinal directions that were given inside any of the dialogues uh, that, that Plato gives us about Atlantis. We're told that around the capital city, there's mountains to the north, and then we're told the, uh, the second... Um, uh, twin, the second born, who, so he was the second of the first set of twins. So he's the brother of King Atlas. Uh, we're, we're told that he got the kingdom to uh, the north of where uh, the capital city was, south of what uh, in Plato's time they called Gades, G A D E S. Well, that's a, that, that's a very specific reference, and we can find that. That's basically Morocco. Um, and what happens is once you do that, there's ten of these twins listed. And if you work with someone who understands the phonetic language and how language works, so you can track what they call phonetic drift, uh, you can you can find then 
the phonetic components of these places. For example, the oldest of the fifth set of twins, his name's Azores. Well, many people like the Azor Islands for uh, um, for Atlantis, for the capital. And that's the other thing. People talk about Atlantis as though it's one thing. Um, it, it's actually three things. It was a capital city, it was a continent, and it was a kingdom, we're told. Um, so uh, everyone through all of time has always tried to lump all those three things together. They, they really have never considered the idea that maybe the capital city uh, you know, was in one place and the kingdom had other places. But anyway, when you lay the king's list out, I'm sorry, the, the twins list out, you get all these places. The capital city looks like it was in uh, what's now the Sahara, De the Western Sahara Desert south of uh, Morocco. And then you can kind of trace it. And I do this in, in, in uh, I've got a YouTube channel called A History Of, and I've got like, I don't know, 10 hours of videos on this where I just painstakingly kind of go through all of this. But yeah, so the Kingdom of Atlantis was basically around the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and uh, the capital city looks to be the west side of, um, of Africa. And then uh, from there, pretty much all the places that people think when a claim was Atlantis were probably one of the provinces. There, there seems to be a lot of evidence uh, for that. But yeah, to answer your question, the capital city is in West Africa, and then the kingdom was on both sides of the Atlantic, it turns out. Wow. So is was it is it um, is what's left of it underwater? Is it just totally gone? What's the can I well, go and see any of it? What's uh... yeah, yeah. You can you can go see lots of it. Matter of fact, a, a lot of the kind of um, what they call uh, let's, we'll use the term that that is kind of the mainstream term, which is misplaced. So there's lots of what we'll call misplaced artifacts that seem to date back very very far and seem to cross um, cultures. Uh, so I mean, we we can find artifacts in Peru that look like they came from the Middle East, and and we can't really line up a time period for it. Uh, so for that kind of stuff, most of the stuff we're seeing was part of the Kingdom of Atlantis. The other interesting piece of um, research that uh, is, I guess, my other one of my other unique contributions to the field is there's this thing called the uh, Ramla, R-A-M-L-A, bone fragment that was found in 2021 in Israel. And it has been dated to being 120,000 years old. But it also, this little piece of bone has the, the oldest, as we know, as we sit here right now, the oldest um writings or marks or something ever made by a human that we have well interestingly a year after that some 20 actually i think it was this year i think february of this year i think um they published more research where they analyzed like 420 of the uh prehistoric caves like we all see it on tv where they got the deers and the elephants on the cave walls and everything and we and you can never quite figure it out because it seems like like why would someone go hundred feet into a cave where it's pitch dark and and worry about you know painting a a giraffe on the wall. Well, it turns out, um, and this was came I think Cambridge University published it. I I I I have to I could find the article. I'm not sure if they were the one that sponsored the research, but anyway, turns out those those that cave art has a writing system embedded over it. Uh, it's a series of of dots, uh, up and down lines, and then lines that look to us like Y's. And they finally figured out what it what that is. It they over the pictures of the animals, they put basically a, a series of lines with the Ys that show when the mating season is and when the birthing season is for that for those animals. And then you can also do a little bit of math because if you know when they mate and you know when they give birth, you can figure out how long what they call the, the gestation period is. Um, so you know, like like an elephant is in there for like 13 months, right? If it's a person, it's nine months and so on and so forth. But anyway. I and when they published this, I was very curious. I knew about the Ron Bone fragment, and I went and looked, and sure enough, that writing that they found that is they dated is one hundred twenty thousand years old. It, it is this. It is this writing system, and they actually have the bone mis mischaracterized uh, if we believe the the catalog system that our ancestors put on there. But this writing system is found along what would have been the travel paths to all these locations that we find in the twins list for Atlantis. Well, that tells us we were told Atlantis was destroyed, if we believe the dialogues take them literally at the end of the last ice age, like 11,600 years ago. But but I often get the question, well, but how long was it around? And no one knows. I don't know. Well, if this writing system was part of it, um, it was around for at least 100, 110,000 years, at least. Although this writing system takes would take a long time to develop. And the other key piece of this writing system is you have to know when month one is. You have to know. It turns out they figured out through the animals that um, it looks like month one is the end of May and up through kind of the, the first half of June. 
Well, what's what? How could how could anyone know that a, across the world if they're cavemen? Well, turns out that's the summer solstice. The summer solstice is kind of towards the back half of June. So, in other words, for this cataloging system to write, which is we have physical evidence of, they would have had to know when month one of, which explains why we have all the megalithic structures and all of the things that are aligned to the sky and all the mystical voodoo stuff. It was just basically a watch because they needed to know when the calendar started and it started at the summer solstice. And that, again, all of that ties into the story of Atlantis, but it also ties into the physical geography, which is the stuff that I've kind of found and brought to the table. So yeah, and, and, and it's just easy history. This, it, there's nothing magical and we, don't ha and we don't have to invent anything or change any of the history we know. We reinterpret uh, the, the physical data, but that's okay. Um, we're allowed to reinterpret it. We don't have to go ask someone what a bone looks like. We can see it. So yeah, so it's all solved. I mean, to me, Atlanta, it's done. It's solved. We figured it out. It was real. Um, and it was probably uh, the beginning of our civilization. David, this is earth shattering. We could just move on to the next thing, but obviously I have to ask more questions. Sure. I am so fascinated by this. How did you get into searching out and finding out more information about Atlantis and things like that? That's the part I guess I'm, I'm very interested in here. Yeah. Well, so my, so I, there's two answers to that. The long answer is I was, look, I'm, I was a nerd as a kid. I, I only wound up in the military because I dropped out of college. I was overweight. But I was smart enough to know that if I if if I couldn't do college and I was kind of a cocky, overweight kid, I, I knew that wasn't a formula for success. So I dropped myself into the military, which was the worst, most horrifying, scary thing I, I could think to do. Uh, I spent my first two weeks in fat camp where all you do is run and drink water. Um, and then I they take this test. It's, it's called an ASVAB test. And I scored. I don't want to say I scored high, I, although I do think I scored high. But I had attributes that they were recruiting for into military intelligence. I had joined as an 11 Bravo infantry guy because it had the biggest bonus. And again, it was the worst thing I could think to put myself through. Um, but then, I mean, I don't want to, and they didn't recruit me. This isn't like a movie. It's, they just administratively moved me over because they had a quota to fill. Um, but yeah, then I got trained as a special agent and I got sent to Panama as part of the team that, um, uh, invest that captured Noyega. And then after that, I went to the, the jungle training thing and I took a week vacation in the Dorian Gap, as I mentioned. And I, and one of the places that I, I was, it was a guided tour. I wasn't just wandering around with a backpack and they take you to all these petroglyphs that are, I want to say, I don't want to say hundreds because it's not really clear exactly where I was, but hundreds, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of miles away from anything. And then that just like really lit a fire in me because I was like, holy cow, what is this? And, and there's, there's spirals, there's sky symbols, there's symbols we see everywhere. So that got me interested in it. That became an avid reader. I had already read a lot of the, the ancient Greek works before I got interested in this. But And I watched all the specials, and that was it. Then about two years ago, I guess, maybe a year and a half ago, I was, uh, you know, I'm an old guy. You guys, you're not quite as old as me yet, I don't think. We're getting uh, there. You, yeah, well, we're, yeah, we're all getting, we're getting there. there. But as you either know or you'll discover, old guys can't sleep. Um, so I was one night I couldn't sleep and I was on YouTube and it fed me, uh, the bright insight, Jimmy Corsetti video where he, uh, gives his reasons why he thinks the Rishat structure, um, in West Africa was Atlantis. And it, it resonated with me. I didn't think he had everything right. In fact, I knew he didn't, but he had, but it was, there was enough of a case there. And then I really started looking at it and I realized there was, a, he was taking a lot of heat. So I wanted to jump in and help. I actually reached out to him. It turns out he didn't want my help, which is fine. But so I kind of, I kind of took his, I don't, it's not even really his discovery. He was the one who kind of marketed it. it this place has been known for a decade or so, but I just started over, but I had, I had a reference point to start with. And I went back to everything I knew and uh, I kind of figured it out and I lay the whole journey out in my video. So it's not, this, this isn't me being a genius with a do closed door. Uh, I've got the videos up where I just, I walk through the entire analysis kind of piece by piece. So those are the two ways I got to Atlantis. And then when it all made, when it all fit together, I was like, oh my Lord, this is it. And and then you can start looking at other tangential items like, like the Ram Bone fragment. Uh, there, there's a, um, there's a rock cave, not a cave wall, rock wall, in uh, northern, uh, the, in the northern part of South America, that would have been on would have been very very close anyway to the the the, the trip that people would have taken when they crossed the oceans. It's eight miles long and it's got nothing but writing on it, and it's it's wow. dated uh, to at least twelve thousand BC, uh, I think twelve thousand six hundred BC, which is a thousand years before we're told Atlantis was destroyed. And it all and okay, well, that makes sense because if we have this civilization and if they're traveling, and, and also it was proved by the way that they could actually 
traverse the Atlantic. Uh, this dude in um, 1972, I think, uh, uh, Thor Herendahl, he had a boat he called Ra, which sunk, and then Ra 2 was a reed boat that he sailed from Morocco on the currents to South America. Um, it took him two months, but the, the reed boat technology is very much what would have been available. We're told in the dialogues the Atlantic was navigable, so again, it makes sense. And then the last piece is, and you, you can then you can trace the the the, the paths they would have followed. Um, and in, in, if in order for people to do that to make these journeys, there has to be some level of I'll, I'll call it civilization, or maybe we just say structure, because if this was just cavemen wandering around getting on boats and showing up on beaches there would be other cavemen who would figure that out and figure out when they show up and where they show up and they'd bonk them on the head with a stick yeah. and take what they had and that'd be the end of it so there has to be something else going on um to support that we also see a lot of this is physical history those caves i mentioned that were analyzed in europe uh they they're found all over the world but they continue on in mexico the same types of caves and where they start in Mexico and where they end in Europe are connected by Atlantic currents. So again, it all, it all, it's all there. If, if we just want to look at it. Amazing. So you, you talked about some of the other things that Atlantis kind of has piqued your interest on things like that. Uh, are you going to find the Ark of the covenant for us? Are you going to, what's, uh, what's the next uh, thing? I would argue Graham Hancock's already done that. In fact, I, I, I was introduced, reintroduced to all of this in the 1990s from his book, Fingerprints of the Gods, and which is a, 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 a it's a book that really makes your brain kind of go on fire. The book he had written before that was called The Sign and the Seal, where he actually lays out in a very encyclopedia-like uh, reading experience, very droll, but he lays out his look for the arc, and he lands on a conclusion that it seems right. What I'm looking at now is is Tartaria. Have you guys heard of the Tartarian conspiracy? I have not. No. no. Yeah, no oh, one's yeah, heard yeah. of it. This it, is the darndest thing. Um, the basically what what it is is says that there is a uh, building architectural and physical artifacts across the globe. Um, the globe is littered with them that seem to belong to a civilization that we don't talk about anymore or isn't in the history books. And it seems to be advanced. It seems to have done a lot of earthworks and it seems to have been capable of capturing or generating free power, free electricity through uh, building architecture and then something that they call antiqua tech, which is uh, the stuff that goes on top of buildings. Uh, there's a working one of these in Cambodia. I have a video, one of my videos on it that someone recorded. And basically it's these uh, like, like, the, like um, uh, the, what we call churches and stuff today, the, the steeples, there's a configuration where they can actually collect the static electricity in the air, um, which would allow a civilization to kind of go global without the ties to a kind of a motherland or any of that stuff. Um, and there's lots of, there's, there's anecdotal evidence, but it's massive anecdotal evidence. Um, and anyway, that, and, and if, if that conspiracy is true, then it would suggest that our history is a, a complete and absolute lie, uh, which I kind of am starting to think that it is when you, you know, you, you kind of red pill yourself when you get into this and, and the stories you're given, if you really look yourself and do the analysis yourself, they don't really make as much sense as other alternate explanations. But anyway, that's what I'm looking at now is Tartaria. That's super exciting. Very interesting. Yeah. David, obviously looking at your background, some of our listeners obviously don't have the opportunity to see this. A ton of books are, are up there, which is extremely impressive. Can you talk about some of your writing, maybe how some of that kind of got started and what people can expect if they pick up one of your books? Sure. Well, I've written a few, um, we'll call them, history books, although people would argue that uh, they're, they're as much fiction as anything. Too. Like I have a book, you know, I have a book on the Atlantis thing. It's, it's just a proof. It's Atlantis solved. Um, but mostly what I write is, is thrillers and uh, I'm kind of doing um, pseudo, what they call it, purgatory oaths. So it's like pseudo religious horror monster stuff. It's just fun stuff. But my big hit, which I, yeah, no one can see, is this one, Panama Red. Yes. And it actually turned into, and I've got a quarter million of these have been have been sold, which is pretty good. Uh, and then, so it's actually a six book series and Panama Red um, was very loosely based on some of the things I experienced in combat in the military. Uh, it's not a self-insert. The main character is a much better 
investigator and soldier than I ever was. I, I could ever aspire to be. Um, but it, but people tend to they they almost all the feedback I get, other than the five percent of people that say that I was an idiot for having wasted my time writing it. The other ninety five percent generally say, you know, it's, it's a pretty good book, and I kind of feel like I learned something, and you really can sense the author's legitimacy, you know, com coming through the action scenes and stuff. So, and that, those are my Dirk Lasher books. I love them. I, I love the books. Uh, and, and they're the ones that people seem to like the best or enjoy the most. Well, David, thank you so much for the time. This was an absolute pleasure. Obviously want to give you another opportunity to promote yourself, your books, where can people find your works and, and some of the latest things you're doing? Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, my publisher is called Frequency99. So Frequency99.com. The nines are numbers, so Frequency99.com. And that's pretty much got links to everything. They'll sell you my books. Um, it's got links to the uh, YouTube channel where I lay out like the Atlantis investigation and that kind of stuff. Um, and my newest book, Real Cal Rick Calhoun in the Town Full of Really Evil Zombies, that just came out two months ago. Uh, to, and people seem to like it. Uh, so yeah, but frequency99.com and, uh, if, uh, you know, I'm, my books, I always tell you, it's like the old dime store pulp fiction stuff there. There's, they, they seem a lot deeper than they are, but they really move along and they're kind of just fun to read. That's so cool. Well, David, best of luck. Thank you for the time. This was a, a very interesting conversation. A lot of information. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it to pick up some of it. Cause I'll be honest with you. You're a very intelligent man. Some of it's over my head, but I'll be honest with you, a lot of great information. You've done some great research. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, intelligent, I don't know. I, I mean, my ability to talk fast and, and use words that people can't quite pick up until they hear it a second time, that might not be intelligence, um, but I'll take that compliment um, as it was, in, in the spirit it was offered. How's that? Yes. And you guys, look, I, you guys are great too. Good luck with your show. Um, very professional experience on my end. Uh, so I think the world of you. Thank you very much. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, here we go, Ken. A German court made a ruling last week regarding a landlord and tenants. The court ruled that the landlord sunbathing naked in the courtyard of the building <laughs> is not an acceptable reason to not pay rent. That does not get it done. The uh, court said that the usability of the rented property was not impaired by the plaintiff sunning himself naked in the courtyard. That's the that's the word on that. So, okay. In case you have any uh, questions about that, I just want to pass that along to you. I will write it down and let my friends know. Perfect. Is, uh, is your wife still a uh, landlord? No, no, oh, we, well. we got out of that a few years back, right okay. before uh, COVID hit. So. Well, you know, she could, you know, I was going to say that she could still collect rent regardless. She could still get the rent. Yeah. Yes. A woman in Australia has had more than 150 bottles of sports and soft drinks delivered to her house by DoorDash. However, she has no idea who ordered them. She contacted DoorDash about the mystery deliveries and was told she could keep the bottles. She still doesn't know who ordered the drinks, though. The phone number for the order was disconnected. That is so odd. That is really weird. You always try to think about, all right, what's, what are these people trying to do? At that point, I have no idea what they're trying to do. It sounds like someone just made a mistake. I got four words for you, Ken. I'll drink to that. Absolutely. A senior prank in suburban Chicago took a turn for the worse. Seniors at Northridge Prep tried to bring live animals to the school. These live animals included a pig, chickens, and a steer. Unfortunately, the steer got away. It was uh, videoed running through neighborhoods. Police and an animal expert eventually caught the steer. Apparently, they steered it in the right direction. The students did receive some citations. That is always a famous senior prank. Reminds me of my time at Ignatius. The big thing they would do is always have, there would be like a stray dog in the area. Remember that? Did that always yeah. happen? Then somebody would put it on the elevator and then it'd run around. That's, that's yeah. kind of what I, what I really We, uh, uh, what's the rule on, uh, for the, the rule uh, for television applies here, Ken. What are the two things you don't want on television, on live TV? <clears throat> open mic. Well, what what two things do you not want as guests? Oh, animals and children. 
That's correct. Yes, yep. that is true. There yes. you go. Can't control either one. And sometimes even adults, you have a hard time controlling. It's true. Sports, some scores now. 100 to 99, 93 to 88, and 105 to 94. I'm Ted Klopp. That's news to me. calendar has turned to May. That doesn't seem to have much effect on our weather. But nonetheless, uh, Jen Brazdovich from Just Destination Cleveland is here to tell us what events are going to get canceled by the bad weather or something like that. No. But what's going on in May, Jen? Hey, we're a rain or shine city here in Cleveland. We're not scared oh, of a yeah. little bit of bad weather, that's for sure. Um, so it is May. May is AAPI month. So we're celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander heritage here in Cleveland. Of course, what better way to celebrate that than to head over to Asia Town to experience everything that the Asian community has to offer here in Cleveland. So um, the Cleveland Asian Festival is back this year over in Asia Town, May 20th and 21st this year. Um, the outdoor event is two days of live shows, cultural performances. So um, hopefully the weather will hold off for that at the end of the month. Uh, the Kwan Family Lion Dance, who um, we had the chance to actually have them at our annual meeting this week, and um, they'll be there doing their lion dance performance. So that should be really cool. If you haven't seen it in person, it's absolutely incredible. Um, over 40 years, that family has been doing this cool tradition. So that's cool to see. Um, there's plenty of cultural food and drink to sample, of course, and then a World Marketplace vendor fair. There will also be an Asian pop dance competition and fashion show. So um May 20th and 21st, a really great opportunity to get over there to Asia Town, experience the culture over there, and um, just celebrate um, all these great assets that we have here in Cleveland. Also happening this month, another big cultural celebration. This one's over in Tremont. The Tremont Greek Festival is back over Memorial Day weekend. So May 26th through 29th, the event will have plenty of homemade delicacies, Slovakia, well, Suvlaki, baklava. I'm so excited about the baklava. It's like all I can think about. Uh, <laughs> plenty of Greek beer, wine, spirits. Um, and you can get a firsthand look at Greek culture with plenty of music, some dancing um, demonstrations over there and old world shopping throughout the weekend. That is one of the most popular things that I think happens in Cleveland in the spring and summer is that Tremont Greek Festival. Um, the festival completely overtakes the area over there. It is just so cool to see and just such a great celebration, again, of one of the great cultures that we have here in Cleveland. Um, so two big cultural festivals happening. Um, the other thing that is really just a a sure sign that summer, I swear summer's right around the corner, guys. It might not feel like it. The weather doesn't feel like it, but summer is around the corner. And we know that because this Saturday, Cedar Point is hosting its opening day. So oh, Cedar Point will yes. be open for the season. Uh, rain or shine can get out there and experience it starting on Saturday. Um, Cedar Point is the second oldest amusement park in America. So um, we know we're really lucky to have it within driving distance, but I think a lot of people don't know that cool piece of history. And they'll actually be celebrating their history with the opening of the boardwalk this year. So that's going to have new dining, rides, and entertainment experiences over there at the park, which is, of course, right there on Lake Erie. Um, the theme park's 18th and newest roller coaster, the Wild Mouse, will be opening this year. Um, it's <laughs> it's described as a mouse and cheese chase family thrill ride. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what a better description I could give it than that. Um, and then... This year also, the Cedar Point Esports Center will be opening. It's a thousand square feet of gaming space. 32 players will be able to get in there and um, play some esports and e-gaming in there. Um, so some cool additions to Cedar Point this year. Um, I want to know when again, they're bringing. I want to know when they're bringing back the rug slides. Those are more my speed. I'll see what I can get. I'll see what intel I can get for you on that one. So starting this Saturday, you'll be over there. I'm sure riding all 18 roller coasters, right, Ted and Ken. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah, right. Ted is a huge roller coaster guy. Yeah, right. One one right after the other. That's exactly right. Um, and then one of the cool things that we're noticing this year is we do have a lot of big concerts in the area this year. Um, I actually just got a call yesterday about this wondering, you know, had we heard anything about all these big concerts and how do they get here? Um, but we do have a few big ones on the calendar this month for the month of May. Lizzo will be at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse on May 12th. I'll be at that one. So look for me nice. dancing my butt off over there. Leonard Skinnerd 
This is a little bit of a turn from Lizzo, but Leonard Skinner will be taking the stage at Jacobs Pavilion on May 20th. John Mellencamp himself will be over at Playhouse Square's Connor Palace for two nights, May 25th and 26th. So some big concerts happening, along with obviously all of the small concerts that are happening over at all of our independent venues across the area. So absolutely no excuse to let the rain scare you, whether it's indoors or outdoors, plenty to do this spring. Oh my gosh! There's the calendar is overflowing with with different things. Obviously, as we start the the beginning of spring, and obviously we still have the Guardians and all the games for that. I can't wait to be a part of that. Jen, a couple quick items for you as we move into the maybe the early part of the summer. Anything to look out for there as we look at you know possibly sometime later in June or early July or anything like that that's happening in Cleveland. Yeah, of course, Cleveland goes big with the festivals once the summer calendar rolls around. So um, it'll kick off with Pride in the Pride in the CLE. Um, that is on June 3rd over on uh, Malls BNC again this year. So there'll be a march and then the festival over on Malls BNC. Um, Destination Cleveland is actually a sponsor of that. So we're really excited to be partnering with um, the LGBT Center for that celebration this year. And then Cleveland Juneteenth Freedom Fest will also be back this year. It's two days, June 16th and 17th, also over at Mall C. So um, that festival started two years ago. It'll be back again this year over the weekend. Um, a really cool way to experience um, that happening over there, history and spirit of the um, African-American community here in Cleveland. And then of course, as we head into July and August, um, the Cleveland Orchestra will be back out at Blossom for Blossom Music Festival. So they'll have their 4th of July show and then they have a bunch of cool stuff on the calendar for this year over at Blossom as well. So plenty of stuff to keep you and the family entertained all summer long here in Cleveland. Uh, Jen, I know <clears throat> we didn't mention this on the podcast and folks, this is audio only so they can't see you, but you mentioned to me that you're sitting in your boss's office today to do this, uh, to do this, this podcast. So uh, are you moving up in the world? Are you taking over at Destination Cleveland? Give us the, give us the lowdown. I, I am not. It's just a quiet space where I won't bother other people quiet because space. I'm in the middle of the room out in there. I was really <laughs> looking for, for that, a quiet space. Isn't that what, what we all want? Isn't yeah. That? <laughs> yep, well, quiet. they've come to the right place to for this podcast, right? That's a quiet <laughs> space. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, Jen. Well, uh, we'll see. We'll look for you at uh, uh, drinking some Greek beer and uh, dancing at uh, Rock and Mortgage Fieldhouse. Yep, I'll be there. I'll be there for all of it. Jen, I have one last question. Oh, yeah. I, you're always a great person to ask when it comes to new places to eat or drink. As you know, that's one of our favorite things. Any new places in the area that we should maybe check out? That's one of my favorite things too. How did you know? So a, a few cool new places that I would recommend. Um, if you're over on the West side in Lakewood, this new coffee shop called Roasted just opened up. Um, it's right there on Madison Avenue. Um, they have a location over in Tremont. So this is their second location. And the new space is just absolutely gorgeous right there on Madison. So a really cool spot to go over, grab a cup of coffee, maybe get a little bit of work done. I'll probably be doing that later this week. Um, and then right here in the heart of downtown on East 4th Street, what used to be Indie just reopened as its new um, rebranded Gabriel Southern Table. I was there last week with some friends for the soft opening. The food is to die for. They've kept some of the classics that they had on the Indie menu, but they've awesome. added some more like Southern inspired cuisine. My friend had the fried chicken. It looked like a game changer. I have to go back and try it. I wasn't hungry enough for it that day. I had lobster bisque and a few cocktails. Um, so that's open as well. And then as we head into the summer months, they'll have their rooftop. That was oh. the old greenhouse tavern space. Yes. So a lot of people know it as that still. Um, but it was indie for about a year or two. And now they've kind of reinvented the concept and they're focusing more on Southern cuisine over there. Um, but we're really looking forward to the rooftop opening over there in the summer months. That is one of the nicest places in the area when it comes one to one of the that coolest locations. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Jen, Jen said a phrase there that I don't think you or I have ever said. I That's wasn't up. hungry enough for that. I don't think we've ever said that. <laughs> no, I, I've never, I've never said that. So. You see this piece of fried chicken, you'll know what I'm talking about. The thing was I, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right, Jen. Well, thank you for the uh, the insight and the update on. Uh, where to party and where to fill our faces. Thank you. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Dad, we have some good news. A 22-year-old British man decided to celebrate his birthday by going on a pub crawl. Oh. Ben Coyles did so dressed as Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings, since he's a huge fan. Yeah. He was... 
And when he was walking from one pub to the next, someone asked if he would like to meet the real Gandalf. Come on. He turned around and there was the actor who played the part, Sir Ian McKellen. They had a short conversation. Then McKellen shook his hand and wished him a happy birthday. (laughs) How about that? That's pretty wild. You think if I, uh, if I dress up as uh, Forrest Gump, I'll get to meet Tom Hanks. How about Oral Hershiser? Oh, well, that's uh, <clears throat> that's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. that. Well, Ben Coyle's probably got a little bit more than he uh, thought he was going to get dressing up as Gandalf as he met Gandalf. I don't think that happens to too many people. But, Ted, I still think that's really good news. Not a dad joke. Ken, why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Why? Oh, if they flew over the bay, we'd call them bagels. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're wrapping up episode number 113. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland. And 13 being an unlucky number. The Cleveland area is unlucky enough to be ranked in the top 10 of the metropolitan areas most impacted by mosquitoes, fleas, and ticks. Well, that's not good. This really bugs me. We ranked number seven uh, between uh, January 1st and December 1st of uh, 2022. Uh, Los Angeles was first, Houston second, Dallas third, Atlanta fourth, Tampa Bay rounds out the top five, and our friends to the west, Detroit, snuck in there at number six. Jeez. That doesn't even count midges, by the way. No, no, it doesn't count them. I think we'd be number one in midges. Please, ticks and mosquitoes. (laughs) Huh. Well, maybe it has something to do with the weather, something like that. Maybe that's part of it. That's not the list you're looking for. No, that's not the one you want to be on. But once again, that's honest and open reporting, Ted, and I do appreciate that. That is very well done. Very well done. That is uh, what we strive for here, honest and open. Well, we uh, let's see. We had your rant about uh, getting kids to events. We had uh, my big news, which continues to be big. We were uh, <clears throat> going through because, you know, in order to uh, continue to feed my face, we had to, uh, <laughs> we had to feed some kids on the way to, uh, I don't know, lacrosse, baseball. I think it was lacrosse. And my wife's in the car and two of our kids. So we go through McDonald's. And I order a chocolate milkshake to drink because I try to avoid caffeine, things like that. Sure. She reaches over, pats my belly and says, chocolate milkshake, huh? Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Wow. So then on the night of the Return of the Jedi, she had uh, M&M's and an Icy, and I patted her belly and said, M&M's and an Icy, huh? And I learned something at that very moment, Ken. Yes. Those kind of jokes only go one way. Every time. They can do it to us. Yes. We can't do it to them. Nope. You don't, don't even try it. You don't talk about it. You don't do it. You would nope. think that uh, <clears throat> I would know this by now, but for whatever reason, I believed I could still pull that off, and I learned uh, I learned that that's not the case. You don't do that. The other word to the wise, we like to give information and give people tips. You never, and I repeat, you do not ever ask a woman if she's pregnant. You do not do that. Never. You might think it's the case and she might be ready to pop right there. You do not ask that question because there's always that 1% chance that she is not. And you need to run for the Hills because that is uncomfortable. I had that situation happen to me one time at one of my jobs and I've never done that again. Never. What was the, uh, what was the reaction of the uh, woman to whom you asked the question? Well, the reaction was, is that she wasn't pregnant, even though many of us talked about it and thought she was. 
And I just said, I'm sorry. And I walked away. And luckily enough, I didn't have to steer that often because I was working somewhat remote and I was just visiting and it was it was awkward. Let me tell you. But yeah, those jokes you speak of, that's one way. That's one, one way. way. One way. And if we're going to stay on this topic, we'll end this soon. If you're asked, how do I look in this dress? Oh, oh. You always say you look great. Standard. That's answer. it. That's all you have to say. Standard so answer. For us, the youngsters li listening, the young people, which aren't many. Word to the wise. Yeah. Word to the wise. Well, hats off to David Edward. Thank you so much for informing us in Atlantis. I'll have to listen to the podcast again because some of the stuff he talked about, I didn't understand. But no, me, me neither. But I, I just thought of something, you know, sometimes women, they don't say, how does this dress look? They'll say, like, I, th this has happened where a woman will say, this dress makes me look fat. Pay me a compliment. I'm going to tell you right now, the correct response is not, your eyesight is great. No. <laughs> no, that, once again, life lessons. Maybe that's a new segment for that's you. Gonna be a life, new lessons life lessons from Ken and Ted. Yes. That is classic. But hats off to David Edward. Check out his books. He's a very intelligent man. Certainly has a lot of things out there. Dusty Sloan talking about Tim Couch. That's always a fan favorite. Dusty gets very excited about that. And uh, to the listeners, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast once again. We'll be back in two weeks with more fun and exciting stuff. And Jen Brastovich, I almost forgot about Jen. Thanks, Jen, for informing us on what we should be doing and what we should be eating and drinking. That's the best. Until that time where we speak to you once again, just like to thank everyone and, and give you a reminder, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.